0: Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, May 12, 2014, and on this day in history in 1828, poet and painter Dante Gabriel Rossetti was born. Dude, happy birthday. It's a pleasure to have you on Meet the Crowd. She's in New York. I'm in D.C., six pixels away. But she handles all things literary at a crowdfunding platform called PubSlush. And I love to talk to authors and those who enable authors. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's a lofty title, man, to be able to do all of that sort of stuff.
1: It is, but uh, it's a title that we're excited about and we really value our ability to reach out to a niche audience, which obviously is the literary world. And when I say the literary world, I'm really talking about writers, readers, publishers, industry professionals, you know, whether they're freelance Book designers, or editors, or self-publishing companies—we kind of really are aiming to be that go-to hub for everybody that's involved in the publishing process.
0: I know this is a dumb question, but I kind of feel it's like no I such need things to... as
1: dumb questions, no, right? There, <laughs>
0: no, there, there have to be. I, I know we're I know we're taught that, but there have to be dumb questions. But but mine is, <laughs> why would authors have special needs? I mean, what are their special needs?
1: The reason why we created PubSocial in the first place, first and foremost, was because we felt that these larger platforms weren't catering to their needs, and they weren't gaining the visibility that they really needed because of that oversaturated platform that is Kickstarter. You have everything from visual projects to games. To, to, I know. To, I know.
0: I, very, I, I will, it can be very
1: distracting when you go on their website. and
0: To interrupt you and to be rude, not meaning to be rude, I will say this, last year, it felt like you couldn't hardly raise $1,500 on the larger crowdfunding platforms for anthologies and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And then we started investing more time in them and they started doing very well. But like I said, now it's, it's diminishing returns. It's like all the work we put in, you know, you're starting to see people saying, you know, I have to keep coming back, you know, and then I try and do the same thing on my website that Kickstarter does and crowdfund without Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever, but then I don't get any money. No one comes to my site. Yeah. So you have the eyeballs, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You have the <laughs> eyeballs.
1: Well, to circle back to your first question, um, I know, about which why I can't even
0: remember anymore. But go ahead.
1: About what their needs are for crowdfunding. A lot of times, most people who come on our site are self-publishing authors, the independent authors, and then we also have the publishers, of course. But. There is a huge financial risk in the publishing industry. That's why traditional publishers don't pick up new name authors anymore. They just can't invest the money into something that they're not sure they'll get a return. So you know, if you choose the self-publishing route, it actually provides you a lot of freedom, creative control. You're on a you know more accelerated time frame. There's a lot of positivities. But of course, the negative side is you're paying for all those publishing costs up front. So you know, the bare bones of crowdfunding is it's a way to help authors mitigate that financial risk, which is extremely important. Important. But above and beyond that, and what we really focus on our platform is that it's a way for you to collect pre-orders. Obviously, through the reward-based model, you're able to offer your book as a reward, so you can collect pre-orders. It's a way to market, and it's a tangible place to drive traffic to learn about your book before publication, which is very important in the publishing industry as well. You need to start promoting and marketing your book well before it hits the shelves. But obviously, and I think this is the case with a lot of products that are crowdfunded for, it's difficult to. Employ Those promotional efforts when there's no product yet. A crowdfunding campaign provides that landing page to drive the traffic to. And then it's really just a way of authors encapsulating themselves beyond their book. Who are they as an author? What do they have to offer? You know, that goes above and beyond their book that the rewards here is really make authors brand themselves. Holy, not just I wrote this book, but I'm an author. These are the other things I have to offer. Learn about me, learn about my story. So right. it's just a great way to help build your author platform. Like you said, if authors do pre orders on their site, it doesn't work very well. You're not generating any new traffic. And there's not that level of shareability that comes along with crowdfunding. When people support crowdfunding campaigns, they're much more likely to share on their social media. I just helped bring this book to life. Check out this crowdfunding campaign. You know, you don't get that through authors' websites. You don't get that in the marketplace. And so, you know, it provides another aspect of discoverability that's very important to succeed.
0: Man, you you can talk fast, man. (laughs) You can talk fast. Uh,
1: I have a lot to say.
0: (laughs) And I take you off topic and then you go right back to topic. That's not Uh, easy to do either.
1: You can keep trying, but I think I can keep up. (laughs) No, no, no. You
0: won. You won. You won.
1: It's not just me, and I talk very fast because I have to keep up with my boss, who talks even faster, if you believe that. (laughs) But we are a very passionate team.
0: Now, which one? You have two bosses, I thought.
1: We were founded by a mother and daughter team, Helen and Amanda Barbara. I didn't know they were
0: mom and daughter. Wow. They
1: are, yep. They're both amazing women. They're inspiration to me and our whole team. So yeah, Amanda's the fast talker, though.
0: (laughs) I heard that you guys have hundreds of book projects active on your site at, at any time?
1: Yeah, we're working on growing that number too. We have you know, had over, I would say, 60 publishers and 60 industry professionals as well come on through our publisher and partner program since January. Our number of books is increasing rapidly. Those programs really help that as well. So we're really working on growing our community. Our numbers are just continuing to increase and we're loving every second of it.
0: Would you recommend that they... Well, I guess that's another dumb question because you would recommend that they come to pub (laughs) slush, right?
1: Especially when you talk about these projects that just continue to decline. I think that our really big draw when it comes to that aspect is that you receive all your reader data at the end of a campaign. So that includes, you know, market analytics, such as age, gender, geographic location. So you can really, you know, hone in on who your audience is, but you also receive, you know, their names and their emails. We provide those more so, so you can, you know, keep in touch with them while you fulfill their rewards. We think that that's very important. And we advocate that. I feel like supporters, they don't repeat the same crowdfunding campaigns unless there's really some connection there which that's what we're aiming to grow that connection so they will be more likely to be serial supporters if you will
0: I just like to see people being able to make a living that's all
1: well that's the thing that I'm finding with writers is I think where the the myth is that you can make a living just writing you can make a living as a writer but you have to figure out another way to brand yourself on top of your books, whether it's speaking engagement, coaching, something that can be totally, you know, wrapped up in your writing, but you need to have a brand. You know, I think that crowdfunding helps people realize that because, you know, you have to devise those rewards. You can't just offer your book. You got to figure out something else of value that you can offer. And it really, I think, gets authors thinking outside the box, which is helpful, you know, to their platform in general.
0: Hey, are you one of those type of people who who, (laughs) know who can think outside of the box? Um, I like to think so. <laughs> At least you believe. That's half the battle.
1: Yes, absolutely. And we're very open to feedback, suggestions. If anyone has any questions, they can always reach out to me personally or anyone else on our team. We really pride ourselves on always being responsive and really being there to, to help People who are interested in our platform, people who want to, you know, start a crowdfunding campaign or even if you just have questions, that's what we're here for.
0: Oh, okay. Now, since I don't know your address personally, would you like to give out a few addresses where people might be able to contact you?
1: You can contact me personally at Justine, J-U-S-T-I-N-E, at pubslush.com. And that's P U B. S-L-U-S-H. You can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at PubSlush. You can find us on Facebook. You know, we're Facebook.com backslash PubSlush. So those are a few key places to start. If you know you want to follow us on Pinterest or Tumblr, email me. I'll <laughs> I'll get you those links as well. Right,
0: or just www.pubslush.com, and well, you if can you want to go the, the easy
1: route, that always works as well. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes the easy route is best. But with computers involved, we've given them enough information that they can find you no matter. How they want to.
1: Absolutely. A quick Google search does wonders as well.
0: <laughs> but then I would be stalking you if I did that. I'm not trying to do that. I can talk to you directly.
1: Well, you know, whatever, whatever route you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> whatever
0: route you prefer. Was I correct? I saw on your site that you give five stars out of five for customer service or something like that. We do. Is that true? Because in crowdfunding, in general... There is no customer service. Well, you you haven't come on
1: PubSlush yet, I guess.
0: (laughs) I mean, I've had a lot of conversations in in behind the scenes. It's a one-way street, all the way on the highway.
1: Well, that's an issue, again, with a lot of these bigger platforms. Again, a lot of our authors coming on are using crowdfunding as a way to facilitate the publishing process. And they might not even quite know how to use crowdfunding, but they know that it's a good idea. And so it's our goal to really make them as successful as possible on our platform and beyond our platform in the Larger publishing world as well. So we have an amazing author relations team that works one-on-one with every author that comes on the site. We, you know, send out Motivational Monday is an email we send out with tips and goals for the week. We will help you devise your rewards. We'll make sure, you know, everything on your campaign page makes sense before it goes live. We also offer what we call a pub/slash prep program, which offers even more hands-on personalized service that is an upfront fee and it's Completely optional, but then we really get hands on with your marketing plan. We even you know, showcase you on our pub slash blog, which has a big reach. We'll tweet about you. We'll post about your campaign on our Facebook. So we have a lot of options that even go above and beyond our baseline personalized service.
0: That's right. Justine is in New York and I'm in D.C., but it's been great to have you on Meet the Crowd. It's our segment basically where we show you the people who are in the industry Doing things that you ought to know about if you're interested in crowdfunding. And Justine is one of those persons. Thank you very much for coming on the
1: crowd. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
2: I'm Leo, and uh, this is my Kickstarter project for four-sided rollable dice.
0: Welcome to uh, the crib, Leo. and it's good to, to have you aboard. Like Thank you. Everybody loves dice, man. I love dice. I wish I could shoot craps like those guys who claim they're hustlers and stuff. You know how they, they just seem to be so cool at it and making the dice spark against the wall or the ground or something like that. And money in their hand, hats on and all of that, you know?
2: Yeah, a money game. I don't have a money game yet. If Not someone yet. wants to invent a money game for four-sided dice, I'd be very pleased to hear from them. Why? Dice? They're everywhere. Uh, yeah, but they are only got six sides, and I needed one with four sides. So necessity being the mother of invention, I uh, redesigned the four-sided dice so that it would roll like a six-sided dice. But why do you need it, though? Because I've been designing uh, a board game for a while, and I want to use double dice so that you can throw doubles. But I don't want to use six-sided dice because the range of the numbers that you can roll out go up to 12. And that just makes the game logic too difficult to predict and takes too long for a player to make their move decision. So I reduced it to four-sided dice. But four-sided dice are currently tetrahedrons. So that doesn't work because you can't actually roll them. So I just reinvented them so that you can roll them. Oh, and as this component of the project is independent of the board game production, I figured I'd put it on Kickstarter by itself.
0: Right, but how did they get to be so many smart people in one place? You guys are always <laughs> inventing something that doesn't suit your needs, so then you, you go off and tinker around and stuff.
2: I think that's the, the real secret to the success of crowdfunding, is it does allow people who have a, a hobby or a passion for just product design and innovation to go and take their latest thing to the market and see what the market says about it. I think uh, that's its success.
0: Right. But it just seemed like you guys used to be in the shadows
2: all the time,
0: kind of, you know, I mean, kind of like.
2: (laughs) And now the the light. Right. In some
0: basement or some deep
2: dark, you know, I mean, you guys used to be in the garage or something, you know? Yeah. I just think it's uh, the latest form of enterprise entrepreneurialism. I think that this is the current form of it. And I think that the market is interested in buying novel products because the barriers to entry are no longer so much the cost of production, but actually the quality of the products, I think.
0: So you basically want to become a full-fledged gaming company?
2: Yeah, that's the plan. I think uh, I've got several board game, well, one particular that I've been working on for a while. And I think I can make a few other sort of well, different products, I can vary that SKU and basically get out to market with a set of products. And uh, this is just the beginning with these dice. I think it, it was quite a good marketing ploy for a board game company by itself. Right. And also I think that there's a move towards more social aspects of gaming so that a board game can actually be played in a social environment with people that you sit in front of and talk to. And I think that that's becoming more appealing. And I think that explains why the board game section of Kickstarter has been particularly successful. And I don't think anyone would have really have expected it to be so, but it has been very successful. So yeah, that's the general plan. And I'll I'll sort of chip away at it over the next few years as I complete the various products and get them to market. I think that's the plan. And then if one of the products is very successful, then I suppose I'll have a going concern and I'll do that for the next several years of my life.
0: Right, right. I got you. Okay. You seem to take a practical approach, but I I just want to make sure that I have it right, that your D4 rollable dice, they are unique. They are special in some sort of way, as opposed to all the millions of dice that are out there on Kickstarter and crowdfunding.
2: Firstly, D4 dice are not rollable. The the tradition is from the polygon dice sets for role-playing game. In those sets... The four-sided dice is a tetrahedron that looks great, but it's almost impossible to use. You have to throw it up in the air and then land it on a table. And also, the difference is that the numbers are on the sides of the face on a tetrahedron dice, right. whereas on mine, the numbers on the top. So it's, it's obvious what the result is, as opposed to so you have to look at the sides and you have to remember uh, what convention that the dice uses because there's more than one sometimes they're on the bottom face or sometimes they're on the tip of the apex of the dice right so that's the the innovation is in the uh it's actually a design as opposed to a, a utility pattern if you want right. to get specific about it
0: I think I'm having a problem, man that lately it seems as though there are a lot of math guys on the show, and you guys all seem way smarter than I am I'm trying <laughs> to figure out how to deal with that man. <laughs>
2: I don't know, you could uh, read a math book. I don't know, it's up to <laughs> you. <laughs> My job as a software engineer is very mathematical, so right. I kind of don't have much of a problem with these engineering-type problems.
0: Why did you roll the dice like 20 times at the end of the video, just to prove that it
2: they actually work? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I did it 20 times on the video I, I'm an I? exaggerator, an exaggerator. Oh, right, you're exaggerating, yeah. No, people do want to see that it works because... Uh, It's always the complaint that they don't work with four-sided dice, so it was uh, kind of necessary to show that they do.
0: I didn't even know about all these dice until my children started playing all these crowdfunding games, you know? And they're like, D6s and
2: D12s or something, and D this Yeah. I was like, huh? I think it's cool that kids like to play with it, though, because... I think it is actually quite good for elementary arithmetic if kids have to sort of play with dice and like add up how many hit points that they've done. I mean, it's a, it satisfies one of the key requirements for a successful gaming product, mm-hmm. which was one of the concepts that Disney came out with, which was it's not the purpose of a game to educate, but a game that can educate will be superior to one that doesn't. So I think that's part of the success of dice games is that it gives you that sort of math practice.
0: Well, whenever you can bring Mickey Mouse into a conversation, I guess that's pretty cool. Get your point across. For anyone out there, check out Leo's project on Kickstarter. It's D4 Rollable Four-Sided Dice. And they're on Kickstarter. Yeah, that's and, it. Uh, finally, yes. And he's out of Brighton, UK. If you can't find him there, always go to DJGrandpa.com where we will have links for Leo and his very
3: cool dice.
2: Thank you very much. It was great talking to you. Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel,
3: and we cover the globe. It has been 20 years since the Iranians came with fire in their hearts and a sword in hand. 20 years. It's been 19 years and 8 months since the surrender and the beginnings of peace of a sort. There are no wars in their cities. But there will be, because it's been 20 years since the occupation began. And in that longer time. This week on the
0: Poetry Crib, we have Kevin with his comic stronghold. And yes, boys and girls, comics can be poetry.
3: So, how's it going there, dude? Just doing my thing, posting flyers around town, the comic book shop, and a local bookstore and coffee shop.
0: You have a stunning comic, man. Stunning comic. Or should I call it graphic novel? Because I'm never quite sure.
3: Yeah, this is a comic. Okay. And so what we did for the uh, well, all, all right, issues... I, Hold
0: up, hold up. I never got your name out, man. Kevin. Yes. <laughs>
3: That's
4: right.
0: We must stand on formalities, if nothing first else. First things first. Right. Welcome to the crib. Thank you. Now tell me about Stronghold, man. I had to be a part of this.
3: So Stronghold is a love letter, homage to the super sentai genre, like Power Rangers and Masked Rider. I do not know what you're talking about. That's the official term. Like the people who are really into it and like right. they do their you know, they did their homework. Like that's the, the genre.
0: Hold up. I did my homework, man. I just don't know enough. Well no
3: no 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you like the you know the some advanced background. Comics one oh one. But the shorthand, you know, like shows like Power Rangers, Mashed Rider, right, Voltron. Catch a man, G-force.
0: G force g force Okay, now yeah. you're talking G-force. That's one of my favorite of all time.
3: That whole genre, those teams with the, you know the themed costumes and the gadgets and the robots and right. you know all the military hardware.
0: So tell me about Stronghold.
3: What's the story? The aliens invaded twenty years ago, and they won. War is over. They came in and, and whooped us in four months. You know everybody fought on the human side and right it still wasn't enough. You know, they're an empire that spans the galaxy. And there was no resistance. So our story picks up 20 years after the war and we're introduced to our characters who are in a terrorist cell in New York City and they're uprising against the alien occupation. So instead of them fighting an active invasion and trying to keep the dynamic going, between oh will they you know get a foothold here will they get a foothold there the war is over and now there's an, there's an uprising coming from people who grew up who were children or were just being born around the time that the throne came and took over. Okay, I know we were defeated in the story, mm-hmm. but it
0: still seemed like a story of hope, and that's what kind of drew me to the story.
3: The characters themselves have a lot of hope, and that's the reason they fight. And Marveler who comes to give them the power to fight back, you know, in a in a meaningful way, and not just, you know, placing bombs here and there or hacking the government. Right. To actually mount an offense. He's full of optimism and he's full of hope. And he passes that on to the other team members. Right. And he even, you know, says, We're not just a unit, but we're a tribe. I've adopted Earth and you all have adopted me.
0: When I spoke to you earlier, I thought that the Uranians were Mm-hmm. Cat people. I thought they looked like cat people, but you're saying that they're not cat people, though.
3: No. I think the character you saw was Marveler, who's one of the good guys. Right. And he is... Um, I've blended elements of a pangolin and a uh, koala into the humanoid form, I guess. The Iranians, they're more reptilian looking, and uh, they range from like blue to green to purple in skin color and...
0: When you describe stuff in such specificity, I can't say that word right now. <laughs> specificity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a mouthful. Let's not put any money on it. I, I can't no get the word out. But, <laughs> but when you do stuff like that, are you part of the geek community?
3: I identify as a geek. And, you know, I wear that proudly. I could go on at length more than anyone cares to hear about, you know, the things I'm interested in, you know, whether it's uh my favorite games or. The shows I grew up on, you know, I one of those guys who knows more than anyone should know.
0: One thing I think that tripped me out so much about this show is that people would come on and they would just profess their geekhood. It was like <laughs> it wasn't like they came out of the closet or anything, but they would just be like, Man, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. Yeah. And I was like, first of all, I don't know if I asked you that. <laughs> <laughs> but but they would just they would just say that. And then I was like, man, that's kinda cool because I mean, my whole life, I always felt like I didn't fit in like I was a... I mean, I still still feel like that. Like I'm sort of a social misfit or I know Uh, I'm a
3: fashion misfit. I know that for sure. (laughs) Hey, it's all about confidence, whether it's being a geek or fashion. If you're confident and you own it, then no one can use it against you.
0: That's part of what drives your whole artistic aesthetic.
3: Yeah, definitely. Is, you know... Being inspired by so many different influences, you know, growing up and trying to make sense of it all, bringing it all together, something that that is mine.
0: That's why I'm attracted to comics such as yours, because you don't just do the dystopic thing. Yeah, I do dystopic stuff every week, but yours is hopeful. You know, I'm a Trekkie first and foremost, so I believe in a positive future, even though things... You know crazy right
3: and my dad is a huge trekkie and he passed that on to me like every wednesday night next generation was on and he you know he grew up on the original series and next generation came on like oh dad don't don't make us watch star trek but you know (laughs) hey over time yeah and it grows on you know all the alien races you know yeah they're using the, the enterprise d and you know all the characters and you start start watching it with them and so i have that vocabulary and i have that background now and and I'm proud proud to say that I do.
0: That's one cool thing about sci-fi, man. It's not that you just enjoy it, you know? Yeah. You want your children to be part of this sci-fi culture so badly you want them to be into it to like the aliens to like the weapons to talk the vernacular Mm -hmm. that's the way my uncle was with me that's the way i am with my children i mean i almost forced it on them but i know you can't do that but but it's not like they weren't manipulated towards it you know right my last question though i'm starting to get back more on the show to literature and and authors and stuff Mm -hmm. like that Do you believe that comics do rise to the or could rise to the stature of of like literature, like books and authors Mm -hmm. and stuff like that?
3: I think they already have, whether the general public realizes it or not. Like there's some amazing stuff out there, you know, stuff that like changes you if you read it. Right. Watchmen, Kingdom Come. Right. There's a, a indie book called Blankets. Right. That had a profound impact on me. There's so many books out there that are high art like, I can say unflinchingly, I don't have to qualify that statement. Like, like these are things everybody should read, period.
0: I wondered that today. I asked my producer that. I was like, you know, because we have a segment called Poetry Crib, and I was like, if we mm-hmm. do the Poetry Crib again on the show, do we bring comic books in it? Do we bring mm-hmm. graphic novels into it? I don't know, you know, because I, I, right. I've never really been big into them. I just like pictures.
3: I was actually thinking about this on the way home. I was thinking, like, you know, you have artists and you have writers. And if you say, oh, this book is just, you know, 10,000 words or right. 100,000 words or whatever, and you say, this is literature and no one questions you. Right. And you go to a gallery and point to the paintings and say, this is art and right. nobody will look at you funny. So why is it then that if you put the two together and you say, this is art and this is high right. art, why is it that then that people look at you funny or think that you don't know what you're talking about or, you're, you know, you're You're just wishing. Right. Or you think making it more than it is. And, you know, the fact is that there's a range. I think it's better to ask what is and isn't good art rather than asking what is or isn't art. Like, we treat the word art like it's a qualitative statement. Like, art automatically means it's good, which is not ever true. No, that's true.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's
3: true. So, saying something is art shouldn't be an expression of value. So, we can say comic books are art without having to have, like, Personal feelings and baggage about it, like, and people shouldn't have to disagree with that statement because it, you know, upsets their understanding of what art is. Like, from then you can just say, "Well, is it any good?" And then we can have a real conversation.
0: If you transpose that to music, a lot of people believe if it's not classical music, it's not real music,
3: which is, you know, a really myopic view of music. Right. I think I was reading a, a, an article and correct. Somebody says. They don't make good music anymore. What they really mean is I don't know how to use the internet.
0: (laughs) From one fan to another, I'm gonna say I'm the world's biggest music fan. Kevin, I'm gonna say he's the world's biggest comic fan.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Don't put me out there like that. I have have to to put you I got
0: it's all about selling it, man. In the end, you may think I'm cool and I'm on your side and all of that. But it's always about the pitch.
3: <laughs> oh, man. word gets out, Kat's going to be at the, the next Comic-Con. They're going to be testing me.
0: Bring it on. Kevin is ready. He's not <laughs> scared. Next con, next convention, walk up to him and just say it. Do it like that Halle Berry moment when Arsenio Hall called her the most beautiful woman in the world and every, every woman started testing her. So go walk up <laughs> to Kevin and say, "Dude, I heard you were the world's biggest comic fan." And test his geekhood, and he's out there, homework. and he's out there on Kickstarter hawking it hard, selling it hard. And but he's trying to do the best right. job. It's quality work, man. Check out "Stronghold" on Kickstarter. One word: hope is not is is not yet lost. That's a very expressive phrase to me i mean maybe that's redundant but but it's very important to me that he said that because i am a hopeful person i am a optimistic person and i believe that's what his story expresses and if you can't find him there go to djgrandpa.com and and kevin will we have links for you there yes no doubt. Thanks, man, for coming on the crib, man, and tell your partners I wish them the best on KS.
3: Hey, man, thanks for having me. It means everything to me. You
0: want me to turn it up?
3: That yeah, sounds good. All
5: right. All right, let me see if I can, add, uh, I can add my teammates here to the call.
0: All right, put them on. I'm ready, man. Ombre to ombre. I'll take on all three of you, man.
5: All right, this would be Ahmed right now.
0: Okay, and Christopher?
4: Yeah, how y'all doing?
0: Khalil, well, you talk for a little bit, see how yours sound.
4: Hello,
5: hello, 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 hello.
0: Uh, you're starting to sound like Deep Throat on that one. Um. <laughs> and I'd like to welcome Ahmed, Christopher, and Khalil to the crib. You guys have an awesome game, man. I was like, this is a very cool fish brawler but I kept thinking you guys were going to say it's a, it's an underwater crawler, but I was like, no, this is swim sanity, man, the fish brawler. Yeah, 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 definitely an underwater brawler, man, ready to rip and roll. They got a giant Moby Dick in it and everything. <laughs> How could you go wrong with that?
5: Hey, you're telling us. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was yeah. Reaching to the choir, my fault.
0: Okay, well, then I should be quiet and say, please tell me about the game.
5: I'll start off. So uh, it's Swim Sanity. Who am
0: I talking to? You talk to
5: Ahmed. So this is Swim Sanity. It's a four-player underwater brawler with competitive and cooperative game modes. So it basically has this wide selection that we like to split off into two sections: Alliance, which is our collection of cooperative game modes, and Defiance, which is our collection of competitive game modes. We're trying to bring back retro gaming. So we're trying to have it so you're sitting on a couch with three other friends. You either get to compete in our Defiance, talk trash, or you guys work together on our cooperative game modes. And we have a demo out there you guys can go out and play right now, where you can sit on a couch and play. We actually have about four modes in that demo, two in Defiance. We have uh, basically our capture a flag type mode called Damo Rush, where players try to capture a flag, cap the most points. Got your standard deathmatch mode, we like to call Last Move Standing. And then our two cooperative modes in Alliance, we have chase mode where you see that huge uh, Moby Dick that uh, DJ grandpa was just talking about there. So you get to get chased by this huge whale and you have to make it to the end of the level with your friends. Or we have our survival mode, where it's basically like our horror mode, where waves and waves of sea creatures of all different types and sizes come in. You guys have to destroy them as much as you can and survive as long as you can. We actually are kind of spoiling everybody with this with oh, this well, nice big well, depth Oh demo. Hold
0: up, hold up. I know you're spoiling people because <laughs> I was about to say that I'm starting to trust you guys more just because you have a demo. And I'm not supposed to say that publicly, I believe. But the games that send me a demo that I can play ahead of time, I'm like, dude, you can do that?
4: <laughs> you know? yeah. We're in no way worried about the product. That's the thing. We know that there's so much more to be built off of this original demo. And we felt like there's really nothing to kind of hold back from everybody. Because every time we've gotten this game in people's hands, it's like the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, two packs in a row now. We had Boston Fig, and we've had you know several test plays just with friends and family and stuff like that, and everybody really tends to enjoy it once they get the sticks in their hands.
0: So I can go to kickstarter.com and find this demo.
4: go there
5: decoygames.com or swimsandy.com. It's one of the first links you'll see. You can download the demo and try it out.
0: Why the name Swim Sandy The game actually started from the game
3: that
5: Khalil, I was working
0: right? on. Yeah, this is Khalil.
5: There was a game I was working on way back in college, and it was called Swim Sandy the adventures of Muba Diver, the scuba diver. I mean, that's where the idea of Swim Sanity started from. I really can't explain to you why I called it Swim Sanity other than the fact that I come up with these crazy ideas sometimes, like there's no like long story behind that piece. But you know, we took out the Muba the driver, the scuba diver part, just renamed the character Muba. Swim Sanity kind of stuck and <laughs> sounded good. And that's where it
0: is today. I see you guys have also won some awards for video gaming, Boston or something like that.
5: Boston Festival Indies uh, last year, 2013, Man, it was a great experience. So we went there and uh, we set up. We were like, hey, guys, you know, this is like our second convention. You know, let's see what we can do. And it got a lot bigger that year. So shout out to Boston Indies, by the way, for putting on a great, great show. And the crowd was good. The crowd was coming along. We're like, okay, okay. We're like texting our friends too, like, hey, vote for us, blah, blah. And then about two hours left in the show, the power cuts out because someone had an Oculus Rift. Oh, yeah, yeah. For some reason, it just charged the whole thing and everyone's power went out. But we were the only game in that row that wasn't a mobile game. So for some reason, our sound completely cut out. So we're like, oh, man. And we're getting nervous. We're like, all right, well, there goes our awards or whatever, because at this point, we're like, we just put the laptop out. and People were still coming. They're playing just on our laptop. We had a TV. So it was the end of the show. We have to go to the ceremony. And we are just sitting there and they're naming out the awards, and then out of nowhere, who was it from Clerks that was there naming the awards? Dante. Yeah, so he was naming the awards, and he just like, for the best game design, Swim Sanity. <laughs> Me and my brother look at each other we're like, uh, is that us? <laughs> so we're just awesome, man, awesome, we just won an award. We sit back down, and then he says the art award. He's like, the art award goes to Swim Sanity. <laughs> and we're like, no way, back to back. So we just were freaking out, man. That was like our first kind of awards given to us, and we are just all giddy like little girls running up there. I do want to say the best thing about winning two awards is like the first time you get called up when you're walking up to the stage, you know, you're kind of, it's the first, you didn't really expect, you're kind of nervous for the second war, we got to gather ourselves i'm like all right i'm gonna get my walk down right and stuff so you know i just want to throw that out there swag yeah okay
0: i got you now christopher i think that was a very shrewd move of you to like somehow cut the power man that was a brilliant move man i mean how'd you think of that
4: Nah, man, I ain't that smooth. I wish I was. But yeah, yeah, for whatever reason, we actually didn't cut the power. We got our power blown up. So, (laughs) however, it uh, it ended up working out in our favor, though. I mean, I can't complain. That day was kind of surreal and just really cemented the fact this is something we wanted to do for a long time. Were they losing it over the game at this point?
5: We brag that we are the best Swim sandy players, and our fans take that very seriously. So when we tell them, we're like, you guys can't beat us. And we compete all the time. We're sitting there talking trash to people all ages, compete against little kids. You know, these hardcore gamers come in. We have some pretty awesome fans. <laughs> we never let them beat us. We're just like, all right, guys, you know, we're not going to take it easy on you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, don't take it easy, and we just beat them, and then they come back for our- more. Dude, I
0: don't see how that's a positive story, man. I mean, you guys <laughs> beat—that <a> <laughs> is not a <laughs> positive story. You come in talking yeah, but- about <laughs> whooping up on little kids and stuff, man. while the yeah, media's they- watching?
4: They love it. They love it. At the end of the day, we're gamers first, and we—that's kind of where this all came from—is we were gamers that wanted to produce games, and it's nobody actually takes it too seriously, but. Everybody has a lot of fun whenever you can sit there and compete at something. And uh, nice. that's one thing that we think we've done with Swim Sanity, man. We we got kids all the way from ages 9, 10, and 11 up to I've seen some fathers and stuff that sit down with their sons and sit there and play. Uh, one of our taglines that we just kind of joke about amongst ourselves is that Swim Sanity saves families, man. It's uh, <laughs> something that you can kind of sit down and jam out on and have a great time. So it's even though a little bit of trash talking kind of comes along from time to time, it's usually all in good spirits, so there's
0: nothing wrong with trash it was just when you were whooping up on little kids man I had the question there's no age
5: there's no age discrimination here
4: (laughs) and they're kind of speaking for themselves because in all honesty I'm usually the guy that's getting whooped up on by the young
0: man I know all three of you are talented but you you got those twisty little games in your back pocket you
5: don't even know which pocket it's in
0: And with that, we're
4: also magicians.
0: (laughs) Oh, I believe you. Sleight of hand. And with that, I'll say, and for anyone out there, you're driving by Kickstarter. I don't care where you're driving by Kickstarter because it's virtual. It's only six pixels away. Check out Swim Sanity. That's one word. S W I M S A N I T Y. Underwater. Well, just a little bit, man, not a whole lot. <laughs> but anyway, it's a fish brawler. It's by Decoy Games. They're out of Boston, Massachusetts. And this is this is getting kinda long. But anyway, the <laughs> point is go check them out, man. It's an incredible game and they do need your help. They desperately need your help. <laughs> and yes, I do want to yes, And I do wanna see them fun, man. I think from the interview, man, you guys did come off as real people and you weren't as mean to me as, as you wanted to be or as you could be, so I really appreciate that, and thanks for coming on the show. Anytime,
4: man. We save all the mean trash talk for them 11-year-olds at the booth, man, we already (laughs) closed. Nah, but seriously, thank you again for the time. I told you to leave those kids alone, man.
0: (laughs) I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, We couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's Crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week,
1: so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word, Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rubens.